So I'm gonna get real syringe leaf. And we are the creators, founders, and co-host of The Dribbler. Period. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready. This is like a dry red light. Yeah. <laughs> purposes only anything that you want to add on to that that I'm forgetting educational purposes only we're not lawyers nothing on this channel should be taking as legal advice uh, this is just our opinion on certain topics with coming up in the entertainment industry and as India already said definitely seek legal representation if you have any type of legal issue or matter that you would like to have resolved and pro probably you know like um, like seven or eight months, Randy will be a lawyer. I will be. Car. Yep. Around seven, eight months. Well, we're going to keep you posted on that. You're going to know when it's time to start calling Randy. But I still won't be a lawyer. Period. On our first episode, we're going to be talking about J. Cole and Bryson Tiller and the lawsuit they're currently mixed up in regarding copyright infringement. Which is going to be really, really fun. So Randy's going to give you guys the background, all of the deets on exactly what's going down here. We're going to play you guys a couple clips so that you can actually hear the songs. And then we're going to get into what infringement is and what we think is going on here. Yep. So I have my notes on my phone, so I'll be looking down a little bit. Um, so basically what's happening is a producer by the name of G-Money claims that the rappers stole his beat from his single, Shawty So Cold. Uh, I'm going to play that real quick for y'all so you can hear it. As you can hear, it's pretty similar to something you, I'm sure, recognize. Definitely got to let the beat drop. Yep. <laughs> This what happened when I think about you. <laughs> Just, you know, chop this fruit a little bit. But I can definitely hear it. <laughs> all right, all right. So producer G Money claims that the producers for Bryson Tiller's Exchange and J. Cole's Deja Vu stole the track from him. And he's been making these allegations since 2016 and finally decided to file a lawsuit. Which I definitely want to know what was taking so long. Absolutely. Like, because I'm not going to keep going back and forth with you. Like, I told you twice, you stole my beat. I sent you to cease and desist. Next is the complaint. Like, <laughs> what's the hold up? <laughs> Very good question. Waiting all this time to recover your ends. I just don't understand. Hey, you, want, you know what might come out of this? About damages. Yeah. yeah. No, definitely. Oh, I got things about damages already. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, like, definitely wait too long. Yeah, like. And too, you know, sometimes you wait and it's something to be hot for a minute. Like, just think about, I feel like obviously 
we're still listening to these songs. But if you think about like when that Bryson Tiller song first dropped and like how popular it was, I'm sure it's not getting half the spins now mm-hmm. that it was getting then. So like, absolutely, we're gonna talk more about why this is relevant. But go ahead. Okay. So the producers for Deja Vu, uh, Vital and Boyd Wanda, accused the producers for Exchange earlier for also copying the same tracks. So this is quite interesting. So we have two producers, well, three producers, really. Uh, the producers for J. Cole's song and claiming that the producers for Bryson Tiller's song stole their track. And now we have a third producer coming into the mix. That's suing both of them. <laughs> both That's of them. That's suing both Y'all yeah. arguing about my style. Mm-hmm. Y'all arguing about my song. Sure. Like, so this is going to be a very interesting lawsuit and also serves as a very good jumping off point for talking about copyright infringement. Definitely does. So, copyright infringement. Actually, I think we should definitely just say, so to like have a, to sue somebody for copyright infringement, you need to have valid copyrighted material. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's something that we just want to let you know on the background. You can't really sue somebody for copyright infringement without a copyright. You know, like, they go hand in hand. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and this is a really big deal, too. So just keep that in mind. Like, register your work. Also, <laughs> keep in mind that the type of damages you can get, what you can sue somebody for, is based off of whether or not you had a valid copyright. So there's a statute that the Copyright Act gives you the right to certain type of damages, which Which are called statutory statutory damages. damages. And if you didn't have a copyright at the time of the infringement, or what is it, three months afterwards, right? Yeah, you get like 90 days. Mm -hmm. 90 days. If you didn't have a copyright at that time, and by copyright, I mean copyright registration, um, we'll clarify this a little bit more. As soon as you write the song, or as soon as you make the song, you automatically have a copyright in it. Um, but you don't have statutory copyright protection until you register with the copyright office and get that paperwork saying, I have copyright. Exactly. And so, like she was saying, there's two types of damages. You can get actual damages and statutory damages. One of the big benefits to having a registered copyright is sometimes it's hard to show how you've been damaged. And by damage, we mean how much money you've lost or how much money you missed out on or how much money that was supposed to come to you that was diverted somewhere else because of this copyright infringing work. And that's but- a big thing for producers, for instance, like this situation where you might not be a big name producer, so you might not be able to show that you lost a lot of money on this. But if a big artist comes and takes your track, you're going to really want to have the statutory damages so that you can at least get some money back um, when you can't really prove that you lost actual money from it. Exactly. So, um, moving on, the big thing here is that to establish copyright infringement, a plaintiff must establish that the um, alleged infringed work holds a valid copyright, um, that there was some form of copying by the defendant, and an unlawful appropriation. Um, A defendant doesn't need to copy the entire work, or a producer or whoever doesn't need to copy an entire work for it to be copyright infringement. We're going to talk more in later episodes about, like, you know, fair use and de minimis uses. But right now, just the basic thing that I kind of think that you guys should have in your mind for this episode is that sampling is always copying. Always. Like, it's that simple. (laughs) Sampling is always copying. So if you use the sample, you copy. Period. I don't care what you turned it into. I don't care if it was a two-second snippet and you wrapped it into something that turned into a 20-30 minute work that you copy. You sample, you copy. 
It's that simple. And also, just as a backdrop to this, a big thing about infringement that a lot of people don't know is that copyright infringement is a criminal crime as well. So it's not just something that you could be brought up like, this guy is suing them or whatever in civil court for civil damages, but like, if it was found or were found that they did this purposefully or intentionally or to a criminal level, then it, it could easily turn into a criminal charge, which is why record companies are so strict about clearing samples. Mm -hmm. They're very, very strict about it because they know that it holds very serious civil liabilities and criminal liabilities. And you got to protect yourself, your company, your artists, all these people from both. So that's just something to keep in mind. But I guess the key thing that you want to think about right now for my part is for somebody to infringe is there has to be copying or some sort of proof of copying and that you have to have a valid copyright. Yep. So then once you have proved that you actually have a copyright in the work, the next part is proving that you have, that the person that you're accusing has actually infringed on your work. Okay. Because you can't really recover anything if they didn't actually do anything wrong. So in order to prove that someone had copyright infringement, you have to prove one, that they actually copied your work, and two, that the copying is what um, we in the legal field call substantially similar, which basically means that anyone, any normal person listening to it was- Lay person. Lay person, a thank lay you. person. Mm -hmm. You're gonna throw down some legal, yeah. some legal terminology. A lay person. <laughs> so anything that a lay person would um, hear, would hear that it is substantially similar. They would see that they would hear and be able to, um, to conclude or to be able to determine that the two songs sound alike. Um, I think this is three, a good really. time for a layperson analysis. I do too. I yeah. think this is. I think this yeah, is a good time see. for a layperson analysis. So we've already let you guys hear the the alleged original. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now we're gonna play a snippet of. We're gonna go with Deja Vu first. We're gonna play a Sunday J Cole song, Deja Vu, and then we're gonna transition out of Deja Vu into. Bryson Tiller's song, Exchange. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to circle back around to that original work just so that you can hear it like one more time to like, you know, I think that helps to kind of yeah. sandwich it in the middle. And, you know, a big thing too is, you know, the courts, when they're looking at these copyright infringement cases, they really want to know what a layperson thinks. So a lot of times in a lot of districts, um, the court uses the layperson standard before they would even allow any experts to come in and say like, oh, on a expert level when you break the music apart and you look at the notes and stuff like that because there are people who do that like for a living like compare works and things to that nature um before they even allow any experts it's the layperson you have to get past that layperson standard first mm -hmm. but so, we'll talk more about where the experts come in um in terms of the copyright infringement part they do play a little bit of a role but just not on this side of it. yeah not as much but that's just something to keep you back know, in your mind yeah. what a regular person would think is what yeah. matters here so right here, we're going to play Deja Vu real quick. Alright. Keep them 
keep these clips short. Yeah, you know, we're not trying to we, we're we're infringe. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to infringe, you know. We definitely do not have permission. We no. are aware, so you know. But, this but, is we, commentary. but actually, yeah. no, this is definitely commentary and it's gonna be a part of like a compilated work mm-hmm. because we're actually doing our own thing. We're gonna talk about all of that stuff too. So we're yeah. we're definitely uh crossing our T's and dotting our eyes. All right. So next up is Exchange by Bryson Tiller. So let's just see what you think. I Shorty so cold. Shorty so cold. My bad. Shawty. Shout out. I say I'm saying it wrong. Shawty. Oh, shawty. 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 I mm-hmm. I say shorty like people from the Midwest. <laughs> 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 like you know, Lord Mason Dixon line. Put that Audi in there. <laughs> people, yeah, yeah, people. Yeah, people. From the Midwest, shorty. Shorty. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. Right. But it's cool. I'm gonna get with shawty. Shawty so cold. Original. Drop it. before they actually come on. Yeah. I think that, that does, does make yeah, a big difference. A difference. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so now she hasn't heard it. I think it's pretty clear that the substantial similarity on this is, is there. Is there. Like, I think that element, check. And by the way, elements are basically the um, steps that you need to prove in order to show that your um, lawsuit is successful in order to be successful in your life. I would say like the ingredients. Yeah, the ingredients. The recipe. Like oh, this is, is the stuff you need to make cornbread. You know what I'm saying? That's good. Yeah. Cornmeal, check, or whatever. Jiffy, check. Eggs, <laughs> check. Bread, check, right? Mm-hmm. So you can say uh, the elements of infringement are your your jiffy, so to speak, mm-hmm. here is an actual registered copyright, yeah. a valid mm-hmm. copyright. And then your eggs in this situation is going to be copying. Mm-hmm. Or you know what I'm saying? The, so yeah. this thing why I like that. So uh, elements are ingredients. Yep, basically. 
Um, so then this right here basically like that checks off one of the ingredients for copyright infringement. Oh like, yeah, definitely. I mean, in our opinion at least. Like this is only just our opinion. We're late people though. We're late people. I feel like we're late people. We have yeah. a lot of legal knowledge, but not I don't feel like a lot a lot of technical yeah, music no, knowledge to no. be like when I heard it, I instantly thought of that song. Absolutely. You know I, what I mean? I didn't think yeah. of J. Cole. I'm not gonna lie. But I instantly thought of Bryson Taylor. Yeah. I was like, oh this is my jam. Mm-hmm. Oh, this will happen. So then the other prong, the other element that we have to prove in order to show infringement is the copying part. Yeah. And copying can be shown in two different ways. So you can like constructively show copying, meaning that you don't have actual evidence of copying, which is common. Like it's very rare that you're going to find somebody like a video of them copying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like the sample. Like, oh, yeah, this is putting this sample right in here, guys. You see me? You step know by I mean? step. I found this online on YouTube. <laughs> exactly. And one thing that I can say, too, about the copying thing is I know, like, a lot of people, they don't know. So I remember you were reading earlier in that article, he had said something like, I didn't copy this or yeah. I made this myself or I created this beat completely myself, whatever. And this person could really just not know. Mm -hmm. They could really believe that they really did create it themselves, even though they used that sample. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, well, I only took two seconds of it and I mixed it in with all this other stuff. This is my own independent creation. No, it's not. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So just and, because you think about it. Yeah. And so she brings up the point of independent creation because that's another legal term. And independent creation is a defense to copyright infringement. So in order for, even if you can prove that it sounds the same, that you um, had access to it, if you can prove that you created this all by yourself with no other help, no other, um, co no copying whatsoever, then you can't be sued for copyright infringement because copyright infringement requires copying. So if you can show independent creation, you're showing that you didn't copy the work and that you made it yourself. So that's what um, these producers are claiming, that they did this all on their own, were just in there, you know, in their studio, putting stuff together, and they came up with the idea for this same idea. Yeah, which is possible. Which is possible. And, and it happened, and it has happened. Like, there have been cases where people have independently created things, but the thing about it is not having independently created them. There have been cases where people have subconsciously copied and mm -hmm. thought that they were independently creating things. So subconscious copying is where you've heard something before and you tuck it away in your subconscious mind. That's the way the court yeah. the court and, and does its analysis. It was in his subconscious mind, it had already heard this tune, but his conscious mind thought it was creating its mm -hmm. own thing. However, this is still infringement. Like, yeah. <laughs> so subconscious copying is still copying, it's still infringement. Independent creation, on the other hand, if you could prove that you truly created something on your own and that you had no knowledge of this other work whatsoever, then that's a different situation and two works could be identical and both have valid copyrights. Absolutely. So that's just something that we want to put out there. However, in this situation, just in my legal opinion, which is like not really worth that much since I'm just a second year law student, but I feel like it's worth a lot. But anyways, <laughs> in my legal opinion, I definitely think that some copying happened here, and I don't think that it was subconscious. And so, with that in mind, that goes back to what Ibi was talking about in terms of copying and the two different ways you can prove copying. So as she already said, you can have direct copying, so evidence that you pulled this track, copied it, sampled it, put it into your beat, and then did what you wanted to do with it. And then you have the second way, which is what we call circumstantial evidence of copying, which means that you don't have the actual proof that someone copied you, but you can prove through the circumstances surrounding it that they did. 
If you're gonna prove circumstantial copying, you're gonna have to prove that they had access to the to the work, okay? And then you're gonna have to prove that the song or that the copy, quote unquote copy, um, is striking. No, probatively similar. Probatively similar. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna have a lot of similarity type of terminology here. They're all a little bit different. Here we're talk gonna talk about, we've already talked about substantial similarity, which means that a lay person hearing it thinks that they sound very similar. Proto-similarity is an objective analysis of the two songs, which is where the experts come in. And it's where you're determining whether or not the two songs have enough similarities between them for there to be a finding of copying based off of access and proto-similarity. So here, for instance, if we brought in, um, brought in an expert and they listened to the songs and they looked at the, um, they looked at how all the notes aligned, what the beats were made of, and they dissected the whole thing, and they come back to the court and say, Yep, they look pretty similar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's crazy how they do it with, like, the notes. Mm -hmm. You know, like, they'll lay all the notes out. Like, even, like, for, like, rap and hip-hop mm -hmm. and stuff like that, you wouldn't think, like, that. but these all these things just get melted down to the most basic music yep. notes, and they just lay these notes, a string of notes here and a string of notes there, and then you can just basically draw lines where all the notes are identical. Yeah. Um, and so the differences. And then things are like synthesizers and effects and whatnot. They'll look at all of that and say, okay, these two songs or these three songs in this case all look and sound very similar from an objective point of view. Um, but then on the other side of that, so the second way you can prove circumstantial copying is if the songs are so strikingly similar that even if you don't have proof that the person had access to the work, so for instance, you can't, you know, you don't have a video of them saying like, yeah, I heard this or blah, blah. You don't have any testimony of the person saying like, yeah, I heard it one time. Um, if you don't have any evidence of the person that access, but the songs are so strikingly similar, which once again, this is a legal term. So it doesn't just mean like, oh, super similar. Um, it's what a court will find to be strikingly similar. Like they'll use that terminology. And if it's proven to be strikingly similar, and that means you don't even have to have proof of access. It's just so similar objectively that they had to have copied it right yeah that's basically what that means and then i think that another thing that we need to think about here or that people should also be thinking about in this situation is that um i really lost my thought there but i definitely have something that i okay. just want people to think well, we'll about. circle back to that yeah, yeah we'll <laughs> circle back to what she wants y'all to get uh, so after we have that, so that's how we're going to prove copying. So this is, this is oh, right here. Oh, I remember okay. now. I'm sorry. Jumping back I'm in. sorry. Yeah, right, I'm coming back. back. Like, I definitely <laughs> had, like, a, a light bulb. I'm like, wait a minute. But anyways, what I was going to say was another thing, too, is, like, sometimes, like, when songs are really, really striking or really, really similar, courts will also look at, like, the popularity of a song. Yeah. So, like, if a song went triple times platinum in four countries, mm -hmm. and you're saying you didn't have any access, oh, you heard this song somewhere. Yeah, this song was playing on the radio, was number one on the radio for eight weeks. Yep. You know what I mean? It was on the billboards for 12 weeks here at this place, and it was in this country for at this many weeks at this place. So that's also just something, like, to think about. Like, even if somebody is saying that, that's just another form of circumstantial evidence that is going to be looked at and courts are going to look at the popularity of the songs. They're going to look at the popularity of these artists mm -hmm. and they're going to compare that, even though that really shouldn't play as much of a role. I feel like it does. Yeah. It plays, it plays. Cause it's going to be a little bit more difficult for, um, G money, the producer here to prove access when, if it's not popular song. So if you yeah. try to say that, you know, a song that only got a couple of streams back in, and mind you, like, they're going to go all the way back to when the first song was created. So yeah. when Deja Vu, J. Cole's track was created, like, around 2014, 
they're gonna have to go all the way back in time then and look at like how many streams was was um Shawty So Cold Game played, how much access do people have, whether yeah. or not the person actually looked at that um looked at that. And the beautiful thing about a lot of these digital streaming things is that you can you can track that stuff now. Yeah, like so they're gonna know they're gonna know exactly how many yeah. times it was played, where it was played, where it was getting played the most. Like the court and this is stuff that if the lawyers aren't just giving it, mm-hmm. like I'm gonna tell you right now, maybe G Money, I believe that's his name. Yeah, I mean, maybe G Money's lawyer isn't rushing to the courthouse to drop the stats on how many times Shouty So Cold was played. But I'm gonna tell you, Bryson Tiller and J. Cole lawyers, they're definitely doing They definitely <laughs> pull those numbers. Yes. They def- even down to the stations, yeah. <laughs> like where regional play, yeah. all of that. They're gonna break all of that down because they're gonna be trying to say, like, this song is unpopular. No one has ever heard this song mm-hmm. before. It's no way that they copied from this guy. Yeah, no my guy heard definitely of. hasn't heard it. Yeah, yeah, my guy hasn't heard it. His guy hasn't heard it. Everybody's gonna be talking about what they haven't heard. Mm-hmm. But this brings us to, I think, this is a good place if i'm not stepping on your toes for us to segue into things that artists need to be aware of when they're working with producers when people are presenting beats to them that Mm -hmm. they haven't seen before you know what i mean maybe like a little we'll give you a little taste of that and then next episode we're going to cover it significantly more yeah in depth because this is a really i don't think in two minutes or so we would be able to wrap all that really needs to be said here into this but that's just something to keep in mind because a lot of times I feel like I've been to studios before and people are playing different beats and beats sound great and people are rapping on them and everybody's having a great time and nobody is asking this person anything about where this beat came from absolutely like I've had a kind of conversation with artists that I know about like hey so that definitely sounds like a Missy Elliott Sample yeah, right yeah. there. Um, did you get that clear? <laughs> like, yeah, like, what sample? Yeah, exactly. I got this from my producer. He yeah. did this himself. Is, uh, did, he? did he record Missy Elliott herself that whole time? Yeah. Wow. All right. right. So we're gonna just go over a couple of things you should keep in mind, and like like India said, we'll cover this more in depth in the next episode. But first of all, what you should definitely keep in mind as an artist is whether or not your producer has all the proper clearances for all the sample he's all the samples he's doing. Um, cause you can't, you as the artist, as soon as you put your voice on that track, you now are considered a joint author of that work, which makes you jointly liable for any type of infringement that that track has. All right. Exactly. Jointly liable. You just like you profit jointly, you're going to be jointly liable. Mm-hmm. And what's going to be crazy is you're going to be jointly liable for something that you had nothing to do with. Which is so that's something that you got to yeah. really, you got to really be on top of this cause you're going to be jointly liable. And at the end of the day, it's like. If you really think about it, not to like discredit G Money in any way, shape, or form, but when you just think about the way the law works in general and the way civil litigation works in general, is people are always looking for people with deep pockets to sue. Yep. So even even as far as like G Money is concerned, you know what I mean? He don't know these producers or whoever it is that gave these items to Bryson Tiller or J. Cole's camps or however they ended up getting this stuff. And he really don't care. And he really, in his mind, he's just thinking, I'm going to sue the people who have the most money because that is where I have the best chances 
of recovering money from. Mm -hmm. So you got to be careful about it, especially as you're coming up, you starting to get like a buzz about yourself. Everybody want to work with you and you getting all these different beats and all these different offers. That's why you got to make sure that you got your paperwork tight. Mm -hmm. And that's why J. Cole and Bryson Taylor are named as defendants in this lawsuit. So they might not have made the beats themselves, but because their voices are on those tracks, they're considered joint authors of those works. And so, as we talked about, they're jointly liable for this. Yeah. Right, I doubt that the producers who presented these items to J. Cole and them are even listed. I, I, I highly doubt that they're even listed on the lawsuit. They're not even defendants in the lawsuit whatsoever. This producer, think about that. This producer went directly after J. Cole and Bryson Tiller. And their record labels. And their record labels. He didn't think, I wonder what producer made this for him. I'm going to sue producer to producer. No. Suing up. <laughs> yep. Yeah, like, oh, who has the most yeah. money? And I'm not mad. Don't hate the player, hate the game. I would obviously pick the most wealthy names also. Yeah. Like, was... So then the other thing you want to think about as an artist going into these, really going out of these producer sessions, is that once you have your beat made, when you are signing those uh, releases and the contracts and everything with your producers, to so make sure that there are terms in your um, contract that talk about what the producer is warranting about that beat. And by warranty, I mean like basically a guarantee that they already have, that they have all the clearances, that there is no copyright infringement, that they did everything on the up and up on this, so that you are protected, not from liability so much, but so that if anything does happen and you do get sued, you can then recover your losses from the producer for a breach of contract. Because they're basically promising you in that contract, that it's a contract promising you that there's nothing wrong, and if there is something wrong, you can go and sue them for it. Exactly. Which can kind of be like messy too. So when you yeah. do bring about those, I can sue you for it. I would even try to like throw me like an arbitration clause in there so we can go exact know exactly where we're going instead of going through all this extra court stuff so you can hurry up and recover that money that you paid out for what they did. And the shortest yeah. route. And on a person, like for me personally, I would also just make sure that you get copies of all the clearances that they're saying they have. You know, yeah. so like that way you're just avoiding, all it's not even that messy. It's just like, all right, cool. Let me just get those clearances from you. I just want to see the copies. And then, you know, like, I before want to have copies pay. Yeah, before you pay. Before you pay. So that way everything's good. You got all the bases covered. Um, and like I said, we'll talk more in depth about, like, what Definitely. type of language goes in, like, what type of language are in the contracts for those, what type of contracts those even are. Yeah. Um, We're in the... Gonna be so much. So before we go, I feel like we should definitely just like let you guys know a little bit more about ourselves. We're both law students in the greater Chicago area. Yep. Um, we're both really interested in entertainment law, art law, music law, basically fashion all law, fashion yeah. law, intellectual property, you name it. Um, I want to litigate, so I really want to argue in court <laughs> on a regular basis. Um, very feisty. So, <laughs> but anyways. Randy, I want to be a transactional lawyer. I am in my third year of law school, which means I am finishing up and getting ready to become a real life lawyer. Okay, um, I can't wait. <laughs> I'm ready to be a lawyer, y'all. And so basically, what I want to do is write all the contracts that are going to protect you guys when you're creating and going out there um, and putting your work out there for everyone else to hear and to enjoy and love. Um, protecting you from being able to get sued for this type of stuff. So I want to make sure that everything is all clear, that you get all the right protections in your contracts and agreements, whether that's record deals, if that's licenses, if that's sponsorships, any of that jazz. I didn't want to write those deals and making sure that you got it protected. Yeah, and I guess basically to say what I want to do is if anything that happened with any of those deals that she hook up, if anybody act like they don't know what time it is, I'm here to bring foot on your next season. Like, this is how things is going to go, okay? Yeah. You know, I'm here to enforce the agreement. That's basically it.
But anyways, thank you guys so much for tuning in to this episode. To stay up to date on all things drip, you can find us at thedriplist.com, T-H-E-D-R-I-P-P-L-I-S-T.com. Or you can catch us on Instagram at thedriplist. Also with two P's. Mm-hmm. And if you want to keep up with us individually, you can find me on Instagram at INDY underscore D-R-I-P-P-Y. So ND underscore Drippy. And you can catch me at Simply Randy, S-I-M-P-L-I-R-A-N-D-I. Until next time, guys. Don't, don't miss, miss a drip. drip.